Another witness in the drug cases of Senator Laila de Lima recants and accuses former Justice Secretary Vitaliano Aguirre of pressuring him into testifying against the senator. We'll speak with the legal counsel of that witness, former Bureau of Corrections OIC Rafael Ragos, later on in the program. The Philippine poll body asserts its preparations for the May 9 elections are not affected by the debate fiasco. Ukraine and Russia giving different figures on the number of civilians evacuated from a steel plant in the war-ravaged city of Mariupol. And the Philippine Central Bank expects inflation to settle between 4.2 and 5 percent in April. I'm Rain Musni. Dayline Philippines begins right now. Another witness retracts statements implicating detained Philippine Senator Laila de Lima to the illegal drug trade. Rafael Ragos, who was the former officer in charge of the Bureau of Corrections, says he was only coerced by then-Justice Secretary Vitaliano Aguirre. Back in 2016, Ragos had testified before the Senate that it was him who brought drug money to the home of de Lima. Now he is walking back his allegations also apologizing to the senator, who has been detained for almost five years on several drug charges. Ang taong mismong nag-orsakan ay si Secretary Aguirre and his companies. I think it's 2016, uh, September. Tinabog ako ni Secretary Aguirre again. Sabi sa akin, you have to execute na pinagit. Alam mo na mangyayari. Knowing na wala na akong kawala, captive ako in that instance, I told him, okay, I prove. The camp of detained Senator De Lima says the recantation of Rafael Ragos just goes to show the political persecution against the senator is well orchestrated. De Lima's legal counsel, Attorney Dino De Leon, now calls on the Department of Justice to investigate its own ranks. It's very clear that the truth is starting to come out. Now, the main star witness cited by the Honorable Court as to as the main reason why are demurred to evidence in criminal case 165 was not um, was not granted, has now recanted. So are they now conceding, considering their previous statement, that, um, that um, in, in the case of Kevin Espinosa's um, recantation, it's not very strong because he's not a witness. Are they now conceding um, that... Um, finally, they will take a look at the case and they know for a fact that this testimony is making a dent on their case. And will the Department of Justice now do the right thing to reinvestigate um, the case and um, hopefully to withdraw the charges against Senator Laila de Lima? And more importantly, to investigate their own ranks who, are, have, who have been involved in this um, sinister plot and the greatest um, frame-up in Philippines history against a particular individual. It is important for the Department of Justice to do the right thing. 
Malacanang keeping its hands off the case against Senator Laila de Lima. Acting presidential spokesperson Martin Andenar says Malacanang respects the independence of the court handling the senator's case. The palace also expresses its trust the Department of Justice and the National Prosecution Service will perform their mandates in investigating and prosecuting the charges against de Lima. As for the National Union of People's Lawyers, Justice Department officials and the courts should take the retractions on DeLima's alleged drug links into full consideration. It maintains the statements should be given corresponding evidentiary value in her pending cases. NUPL President Ed Eulalia also says those behind what it calls brazen injustice against a senator should be held accountable. And joining us now is the legal counsel of former Corrections Bureau officer in charge, Rafael Ragos, attorney Michael De Castro. Attorney, good afternoon and welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me, Rain. Mr. Ragos' testimony is the reason why that case, those cases against Senator De Lima are still alive. What pushed, it also pushed that Muntinlupa judge to bring it to trial. Why is Mr. Ragos retracting his statement now? What prompted it? Well, Rain, the vindication of a burden conscience has no expiry date. And his statements implicating Senator De Lima has been weighing on him for the longest time. And as he himself stated in his interview with uh, ABS-CBN, he wanted to come clean. He could not live with himself having to um, live with the knowledge that Five years of illegal detention is on him. Five years. Um, your client claims there are threats of him being arrested, being engaged in the drug trade. Who is making the threats and for what? Well, according to him in his affidavit, which he executed last April 30, it comes straight from uh, the former DOJ secretary and some prosecutors. If I may uh, quote some portions of this affidavit, he says, um, it says here, mag-execute ka ng affidavit, mag-corroborate ka sa statement ni Ablen. Kung hindi, alam mo naman kung ano mangyayari. And so, given too that he was... Um, being detained at the time, you can only imagine the level of duress he was uh, working under. But who issued that? Uh, is that a text message to him? Um, who issued that? Is that um, former Justice Secretary Vitaliano Aguirre? Yes. Uh, in the former Secretary DOJ Secretary Aguirre stated it to him. Attorney, attorney, we yeah. seem to be uh, we, yeah, we can't we can't uh, hear your audio at the moment. Uh, we seem to be losing signal. Can you yes. hear us? Yes, I can hear. Early Our... um, attorney. All right, we'll try to bring back attorney Michael De Castro in a moment, uh, but right now he was saying that uh, the reason that um, Rafael Ragos uh, had actually recounted that um, his claims against uh, former Justice Secretary de Lima uh, had been that he 
had been had a burden conscience and he had wanted to come clean for the longest time um, and clear uh, the Lima after uh, she's been detained for the last five years. Uh, he was also saying that uh, it was former Justice Secretary Vitaliano Aguirre who issued threats against Ragos um, so that he can um, come clean against um, uh, or rather, he can continue with the uh, alleged allegations against the Lima in their participation in the illegal drug trade. Now, uh, Attorney De Castro, are you back? Yes, yes. All I'm, right. I'm here. All right. Good to, ha to have you. Did he receive uh, any money or any incentive for making those claims against now Senator De Lima? Well, according to him, he only receives threats. Mm. And he hasn't received a single cent. The recantation now, did Mr. Ragos receive any form of remuneration or incentive to recant his testimony? I don't believe so, and I don't, I don't think so. Hmm. Did Mr. If, if, yeah. Yes, if you look at the, his interview himself, that interview, it, it, it will show how candid Mr. Ragos is how um, straight he, his answers are and that the fact that the only reason he's uh, recanting on his statements now is that he wants to come clean. Did Mr. Ragos ever have any links to Peter Ko? Um, I believe Mr. Ragos answered that in the interview and he said, if I remember correctly, that uh, no, he does not, and he does not have any personal knowledge of um, any illegal activity, but he has his own suspicions, but whatever suspicions those are, he can only um, surmise. Would Ragos be privy to anyone else uh, who, in the Bilibid drug, among the Bilibid drug lords, um, and were coerced into testifying against the Lima? I do not think he is. I think he states outright that it's beyond his personal knowledge whether other uh, witnesses were coerced. The only thing he can testify to is what he heard, what, what he experienced, and the duress he himself suffered. Mr. Ragos was placed on floating status at the Bucor for his involvement in the case uh, without any charges being filed against him. He lost income since 2016. Uh, he was implicated in the drug trade anyway. So why would he make those claims in the first place? Um, right now, he's a witness. Would you? Can we know where he is at the moment? Well... Of course, I can't tell you for his own safety. But as to your first statement, why would he make a sa uh, such statement? We, we already answered that. Uh, it's, it was under duress. Um, his affidavit uh, recanting these prior statements uh, attests to those uh, acts of coercion he suffered. Uh, beyond that, too, he was uh, co-accused. And so, if I understand correctly... He need he was invited to become a state witness in order to be um, to be let off as a state witness. Uh, he had to agree to making these uh, implicate. 
he had to agree to implicating Senator De Lima. And now that he is saying he had lied before, why should his recantation be trusted this time? Well, he himself says it. Uh, he doesn't need anyone to believe him. He is answering only to his own conscience, as we all are. And he has no ulterior motive. This is, this is just a man answering to his own conscience. Is he with his family right now? I have no, I have no knowledge. The testimony, attorney, seems to highlight to a mutual distrust of former NBI agent Hovencio Ablen Jr. Have they spoken since the House hearings? And can you describe what kind of relationship they might have that they are implicating each other more deeply into the drug trade, including in this latest affidavit? I'm afraid I cannot answer that. I have no knowledge as to their uh, prior relationship or continuing relationship. Mm -mm. Mr. Ragos also implicated quite a number of witnesses, if not accomplices, in this perceived frame-up of uh, former Justice Secretary De Lima. Has Mr. Ragos been able to speak with these people that he mentioned in his meeting in Soler to begin the whole process of the false testimony? Or has there been any reaction from their camps that have been transmitted to you? None yet, but you're right. These um, impli these implications are um, worrying, to state it uh, very lightly, because they they attest to the level of risk a truth sayer has to go through, and it attests to just how much danger there is for someone who is in Mr. Ragos' um, position, to say no. It's very difficult. Mm. This recantation attorney seems to show a pattern that witnesses had been coerced to testify against the Lima and an orchestrated effort against her um, that's been actually pointed out by um, the lawyer of the Lima. Now, after the recantation of drug lord Corwin Espinosa and now by your client, Many would see this as an orchestrated effort to bring down De Lima. Does the buck stop with former Justice Secretary Aguirre, or does this go all the way up to Malacanang? Well, Mr. Ragos himself states that one of the prosecutors did tell him, and I quote, Magtestigo ka ng mabuti, minomonitor ka ng Malacanang. As to where exactly this stops, uh, Mr. Ragos himself says he doesn't know. All he knows is um, it was former Secretary, uh, DOJ Secretary Aguirre, who told him to uh, execute that affidavit, those affidavits rather. Attorney, what is your next step for Mr. Ragos? Will you be filing the recantation in court? And if so, how and when? Well, this uh, affidavit will be made available to the lawyers, to the defense lawyers of uh, at, uh, Senator De Lima, if should they wish to uh, uh, have access to it. It can also be used, in fact, and I invite um, the you here to think about this. It can be used, in fact, to check prosecutorial um, misconduct 
I mean, there are statements here um, showing very clearly how some prose- prosecutors are creating their own evidence. I mean, they are the Department of Justice. Is this justice? Would you be willing to, would uh, Mr. Ragos be willing to testify for Senator De Lima if called upon at this point? Uh, will he be calling for her freedom? And um, would you, would he also urge the DOJ to reinvestigate the case and withdraw the charges against De Lima Moto Propio? More importantly, to investigate their own ranks. Well, uh, to answer your first question, um, the execution of his affidavit itself should show that he is willing to go on the record uh, as to his recantation. As to um, calling for an investigation, yes, of course, there should be an investigation, but whether such an investigation will have any um, fruitful outcome, uh, that that there's much to be um, not hopeful for. But we hope we and we urge the DOJ to investigate its own rats. I mean, who who exactly will prosecute these erring prosecutors? Will they even prosecute their own? Attorney, um, have you? When was the last time you were able to speak with Mr. Ragos? Um, may we know what um, his disposition is? Um, did he say that he was tired of perhaps being in hiding as a witness? Uh, for his own safety, I can't reveal when I last talked to him. But as to his demeanor, as, as to his, um, how he is, he has the aura of a man who is finally at peace. That's what I can say about him right now. All right. Attorney Michael De Castro, legal counsel for Rafael Ragos. Grateful you could join us today. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dane. Thank you. The Philippine poll body assures the public their investigation into the scrap presidential and vice presidential town hall debates will not affect the preparations for the May 9 elections. Commissioner George Garcia gave that assurance after his fellow commissioner, Ray Bulay, recommended the temporary relief of James Jimenez and Francis Arabe, both directors of the Comlex Education and Information Department, following the debate fiasco. Garcia says Comlex Chairman Saidamen Pangurangan and the Anbang have yet to act on Bulay's recommendations. Until today, we'd like to clarify that Director James Jimenez remains to be our official spokesperson mm-hmm. and he remains to be the Director of Education and Information Department and Director Arabe remains to be likewise the Deputy Director of said department. That we cannot rock the boat at this time. At this point, we have to prepare for the election. The Comelec Town Hall debates, which were originally scheduled for last weekend, was canceled due to financial issues with the Comelec's third-party contractor, Impact Hub. This prompted the poll body to conduct panel interviews with the presidential and vice presidential bets instead. Most of the leading candidates, however, declined to participate, mainly due to scheduling conflicts amid the last stretch of the campaign period.
even if only one candidate will will agree and to proceed with a panel interview, we will proceed. It is our commitment, likewise, to the Filipino people. They have to know their candidates. One hour is one hour, and therefore, that is enough for them to at least maybe change their minds or at least to strengthen or cement their choice already. And at the same time, to even to even perhaps look into these candidates who may not be who may not be uh, high in surveys, but just the same, they're offering themselves to the people. Mm. Perhaps we can likewise listen to them and listen to what they want for the country. Catch the Comlex panel interviews on May three to six via the online platforms of ABS-CBN News, ANC, and ABS-CBN Teleradio. Seventy percent of the voters' information sheet has been distributed nationwide as of Monday. The VIS contains precinct locations and simplified instructions on casting of votes. The Comelec earlier aimed to distribute the VIS by April 9, but delays mar the process. The law requires the VIS to be sent out before Election Day. Around 100,000 people showed up to support the tandem of Vice President Lenny Robredo and Kiko Pangilinan in Cavite Sunday. This was Robredo's third visit to Cavite, the second largest province in terms of voter population. Earlier that day, Robredo and Pangilinan met with the members of Kilusang Maya Uno, one of the Philippines' largest labor groups, after their Labor Day march. KMU previously endorsed the tandem, lauding their commitments to adjust minimum wage and end labor contractualization. Kapag siya na ang maging Pangulo, siya ay uh, tutulungan niya tayo, iangat niya ang ating buhay. Ang mga pulisiya ng gobyerno dapat nagmumula sa kung sino ang pinaka-apektado. Ang karaniwang Pilipino. Karidad ang dignidad ninyo. Meanwhile, presidential bet Ferdinand Marcos Jr. held a campaign rally in Isabela, one of the provinces in the so-called Solid North. There, the late dictator's son urged his supporters to also vote for his running mate, Davao City Mayor Sara Duterte. Marcos also attended a town hall meeting organized by the Trade Union Congress of the Philippines, where he promised to push for the security of tenure bill if elected. Security of tenure uh, bill that we hope to amend and rewrite at ayusin para mapasana. Because kung ako'y palarin at ako'y nakaupo, kung maganda naman ang version, pipirmahan ko talaga yan. Police barred a Labor Day protest led by presidential candidate Lloyd de Guzman from concluding at Menjola. De Guzman's group, Buklura ng Manggagawang Pilipino, was supposed to converge with his running mate Walden Bellios Laban ng Masa and together head to Menjola for their protest. But authorities stopped them, forcing them to end their protest in front of Far Eastern University. Hindi na kami umaasa doon sa pangako niyang kontraktualisasyon. Ilalaban na lang namin yan sa susunod na administrasyon. Kung hindi ako, pero kung ako yan, automatic, uh, mawawala na yung kontraktualisasyon. Dekad-dekadang laban ang dagdag na sahod. Dekad-dekadang laban ang kontraktualisasyon. Dekad-dekadang laban ang hindir sa uh, mababang presyo. Pero walang pagtugon ang ating pamahala. Kinakailangan talaga 
na yung mga manggagawa ay magkaisa. Ito yung kailangan. Wala tayong mga asahan sa mga itistang gobyerno. Several workers' groups also criticized the government on Labor Day, saying the daily minimum wage in the country is both inadequate and discriminatory. Bago umalis ang administrasyon na ito na hindi naging uh, sapat ang pagtingin o umagan, uh, malasakit ang tingin sa manggagawa, sana sa mayong ito ay makapag-decide na po na mabigyan ng uh, substantial increase sa minimum wage ang mga Uh, yung pong panukalang batas na pagdadagdag ng minimum wage gagawin 750 pesos, tuportado po namin yan. At the same time, uh, kasama po kami sa mga grupo na nag-file ng petition sa iba't ibang wage boards ng dagdag na sahod. Up next, nearly 100 civilians managed to evacuate from the besieged Ukrainian city of Mariupol. Details of that story and more when Dateline Philippines returns. Stay with us. Still with Dayline Philippines, here's another look at the headlines. Another witness in the drug cases of Senator Laila de Lima recounts and accuses former Justice Secretary Vitaliano Aguirre of pressuring him into testifying against the senator. The Philippine poll body asserts its preparations for the May 9 elections are not affected by the debate fiasco. Ukraine and Russia giving different figures on the number of civilians evacuated from a steel plant in the war-ravaged city of Mariupol. And the Philippine Central Bank expects inflation to settle between 4.2 and 5 percent in April. Welcome back. The Philippine Justice Department star witness in the pending drug cases against Senator Laila de Lima retracts his accusations against the lawmaker. Rafael Ragos also naming former Justice Secretary Vitaliano Aguirre as among those who pressured him to testify against the senator. Mike Navalio reports. Days after self-confessed drug lord Kerwin Espinosa retracted all of his allegations against detained Senator Laila Dilima, another high-profile accuser has recanted his claim that Dilima received 10 million pesos worth of drug payoffs when she was just a secretary in 2012. 
Rafael Ragos, a former National Bureau of Investigation official and former OIC of the Bureau of Corrections, executed an affidavit Saturday belying all his claims against Senator Laila Dilima. Among these claims that he, along with former aide Juvencio Ablen Jr., supposedly delivered two tranches of 5 million pesos each to Dilima's former bodyguard Ronnie Dayan at her house in Paranaque City in November and December 2012. The money was supposedly left in his quarters in Bucor, and he received a call from an unidentified caller supposedly ordering him to deliver the money to Dilima. That caller he would later identify as convicted drug lord Peter Ko, while another inmate, Hans Stan, allegedly told him it was Dilima's share in the drug trade. But in his affidavit Saturday, Rago said none of these statements are true, and he would have ordered an investigation had he received such money. He also echoed what the Dilima camp has been saying all along. Why would a Bucor OIC follow the orders of inmates? Instead, Ragos accused former Justice Secretary Vitaliano Aguirre II of pressuring him to testify against Dilima. Aguirre allegedly called for a meeting at a casino hotel in Paranaque to force him to sign an affidavit implicating Dilima. Ragos said he was forced to sign out of fear for his life and his family's safety and because he was implicated in one of the drug cases against Dilima. He was later dropped as one of the accused after he agreed to testify. He was also set free after being detained for seven months. Ang taong mismong nag-orsakan ay si Secretary Aguirre and his companies. Tinabog ako ni Secretary Aguirre again. Sabi sa akin, you have to execute na pinagit. Alam mo na mangyayari. Knowing na wala na akong kawala, captive ako in that instance, I told him, okay. Ragos also implicated other DOJ officials, including former DOJ Undersecretary Raymond Mecate, who allegedly pressured him to testify, Deputy Directors Rachel Angeles and Vicente de Guzman, who supposedly made his detention difficult, Prosecutor Lawrence Joseph Taliping, who supposedly advised him to testify well because Malacanang is watching, and his own aide, Ablen. Ablen had accused Ragos of running illegal activities in Bucor, while Ragos accused Ablen of being involved in the illegal drug trade. The testimonies of Ragos and Ablen were instrumental in a Muntinlupa court's decision last year to deny one of Dilima's two demurs to evidence, essentially a motion to dismiss due to insufficiency of evidence. Lawyer Dino De Leon, Dilima's spokesperson, says Ragos's affidavit is significant not only to the drug case where he testified, but also to the other pending drug case involving other Bucor officials. He says this shows a pattern of well-orchestrated political persecution using the entire machinery of the state. He challenges the Department of Justice to withdraw the cases against Dilima. Now, the main star witness cited by the Honorable Court as to as the main reason why our demure to evidence in criminal case 165 was not, um, was not granted has now recanted. So are they now conceding, considering their previous statement, that um, that um, in, in the case of Kevin Espinosa's um, recantation, it's not very strong because he's not a witness. Are they now conceding um, that um, finally they will take a look at the case and they know for a fact that this testimony is making a dent on their case? And will the Department of Justice now do the right thing to reinvestigate um, the case and um, hopefully to withdraw the charges against Senator Laila de Limba. And more importantly, to investigate their own ranks who, are, have, who have been involved in this um, sinister plot and the greatest um, frame-up 
in Philippine history against a particular individual. It is important for the Department of Justice to do the right thing. In response to Ragos's retraction, Prosecutor General Benedicto Malcontento says they will still have to get a copy of the statement. Last week, the Justice Department downplayed the retraction of self-confessed drug lord Kerwin Espinosa, who recanted all his allegations against Dilima. ABS-CBN News is still trying to get the side of Aguirre and the other officials Ragus mentioned in his affidavit. Mike Navalio, ABS-CBN News. Ukraine and Russia giving different figures on the number of civilians evacuated from the steel plant in the besieged city of Mariupol. The United Nations earlier announced that a safe passage operation was ongoing at the Azovstal plant, the last holdout of the Ukrainian resistance in the port city. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says roughly 100 civilians have been evacuated. But Russia's defense ministry gave a lower figure of 80 adding those who wished to leave were handed over to representatives of the U.N. and the Red Cross. The U.N. has not revealed how many civilians they are transporting. The apparent ceasefire in Mariupol took place as Russian attacks continued unabated across Ukraine, most heavily in the fiercely disputed eastern regions. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi voiced America's support for Ukraine during a surprise visit to Kyiv Saturday. Pelosi is the most senior American lawmaker to travel to Ukraine since Russia's February 24 invasion. Her visit came just days after Russia launched rockets at the capital during a visit by U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Pelosi says she and other members of a U.S. congressional delegation brought a message of appreciation for the leadership of Ukrainian President Zelensky. Zelensky thanked the U.S. for their support in the fight against Russia's aggression. Last week, U.S. President Joe Biden proposed a huge $33 billion package to arm and fund Ukraine's government. Germany planning to invite Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi as a special guest in next month's Group of Seven Leaders Summit. This is an effort to forge a broader international alliance against Russia. Invite could be announced this Monday when German Chancellor Olaf Scholz welcomes Modi for talks in Berlin and a joint German-Indian cabinet meeting. Scholz was undecided on Modi's invitation until a few weeks ago because of the Indian leader's reluctance to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine and a jump in fossil fuel deliveries to India from Russia. Germany, which currently holds the rotating G7 presidency, is also seen to welcome the leaders of Indonesia, South Africa and Senegal to the gathering in the Bavarian Alps from June 26 to June 28. More world news now. Islamic State claims responsibility for the deadly blast on a mosque in the Afghan capital of Kabul last Friday. At least 10 worshippers died, while around 30 others were injured. According to the Afghan officials, the attack appeared to have targeted members of the minority Sufi community who were performing rituals after completing Friday prayers. Afghanistan's Taliban rulers say they have secured the country since taking power last August and largely eliminated the terror group's local offshoot. But international officials and analysts believe the risk of a resurgence in attacks remains. 
Now we have this just in. Ferdinand Marcos Jr. maintains a huge lead in Pulse Asia's last pre-election survey ahead of next week's polls. Marcos again topped the presidential preference survey with 56% of its respondents choosing him. Still in second, Vice President Lenny Robredo at 23%. Boxing legend and now Senator Manny Pacquiao has leapfrogged Manila Mayor Isco Moreno for third place, while Senator Panfilo Lacson is at fifth. The risk of community transmission of COVID in Shanghai has been effectively controlled. That's according to their city government. They say the situation there is currently stable. Officials add the number of domestic cases has begun to drop after peaking at around 27,000 last April 13th. The number of new daily infections over the past four days has been under 10,000. But there's no word yet on when the lockdown in Shanghai will be lifted a lockdown that's been currently on its fourth week. Beijing ramping up COVID restrictions as a five-day Labor Day holiday gets underway. The city banned all restaurant dining during the holiday period. Officials also shut down the Universal Studios theme park and required residents to provide negative COVID test results to enter public venues. And after the holidays, workers and students will be required to present negative COVID test results before returning to work or school. Beijing reported 59 local infections Sunday, the highest number of daily cases in its current outbreak. The city has reported more than 300 cases since April 20th. Taiwan will not be imposing lockdowns despite the surge in COVID infections. The island recorded more than 10,000 new cases for the first time on Thursday. On Sunday, that figure hit nearly 17,000. But Taiwan's premier says they will not act as cruelly as China, which remains the only major economy still sticking to a zero COVID strategy via painful lockdowns. Taiwan's health ministry has warned, though, that the daily case count could be more than double to 37,000 in a week. But they also report that more than 99.7 percent of infections recorded since January have been mild or asymptomatic. Around 80 percent of their population are double vaccinated, while nearly 60 percent have taken a third shot. Here at home, the number of active COVID cases in the Philippines drops to a two-year low. At 5,967, it's the lowest the country has seen since April 24, 2020. The health department also recorded 253 new infections and 56 more fatalities, raising the death toll to 60,397. Authorities continue to remind the public to follow all the minimum health protocols, most especially the use of face masks, amid the detection of an Omicron subvariant that could trigger another possible surge in cases. Philippine health officials maintain they have always been transparent with the country's COVID numbers. The clarification comes after reports surfaced there will be an artificial rise in COVID cases before the May 9 elections. The health department refutes these claims. Dr. Edsel Salvania, infectious disease expert and member of the DOH technical advisory group, also says 
The number of COVID cases is always based on evidence. Pinabilaan na na po yan ng DOH. Wala po talagang dinitiklare na kung ano man artificial or ano. Ang binapatayan po ng mga reports, number of cases is really yung reports on the ground. Uh, meron naman po tayong centralized repository na pinapatakbo ng Epidemiology Bureau. Kung ano man yung cases na meron po, rinireport po ito. Whether tataas, bababa, or uh, walang madadagdag. Um, ano po, hindi po kami gumagawa ng mga numbers. Uh, ito po ay base sa the Philippine Central Bank expects inflation to accelerate further and settle between 4.2 and 5% in April. The BSP says this is due to higher prices of electricity and petroleum products, as well as increasing prices of meat and fish. It adds, inflation pressures will also emanate from positive base effects, but those could be offset by lower prices of fruits and vegetables and a broadly stable peso. Central Bank also does not expect to see second-round inflationary effects. We closely monitor the second-round uh, effect on the demand side, like, uh, as you mentioned, higher wages in response to, to the... Uh, <clears throat> to, to uh, rising inflation and also the uh, effect on transport mm -hmm. because of the higher uh, oil prices. But the, the, uh, the approach that this government has done is much more reasonable. In other words, we targeted those who are directly affected by the transport, uh, mm -hmm. by the oil prices, rather than, say, uh, a, a more general approach like cutting the... Mm. the uh, the tax on, on oil. The BSP is set to meet for another policy meeting on May 19th, but it is only seen to hike interest rates come June, even if other global central banks have also already assumed a more hawkish tone. Their inflation is much more entrenched than ours, so there's a big difference between what's happening in other countries than the Philippines. Mm -hmm. We really have to balance the mm -hmm. whether we are the the recovery that we're seeing is sustainable that's why we are going to wait for the uh, gdp number for uh, the first quarter of this mm -hmm. year that will be out this may so by that time we'll we'll have more data and we also have more data on employment whether employment continues to improve and so forth and that that those things suggest that the recovery is, is sustainable and maybe we will, we will act accordingly. While local pump prices are set to go down tomorrow, diesel and kerosene prices will each be slashed by 1 peso and 15 centavos per liter, while gasoline prices will go down by 65 centavos per liter. The slight drop in prices comes as strict COVID lockdowns in China continue to dent the demand for oil globally. Now, despite the price rollback, pump prices in the Philippines remain high. Since the start of the year, diesel prices have increased by over 31 pesos per liter, gasoline by 18 pesos, and kerosene by 25 pesos. Hindi pantay yung pag-rollback eh. Dapat kung rollback piso, pagtasa tatlo piso, tatlo piso din na rollback. Kasi nababawasan yung kita namin eh. 
kada taas, bawas ang kita, lumilit ang kita. Kaya nga, nakakapag-uwi na lang ako, 700, isa 500 pa nga eh. Sana maalis yung kwan, excise tax pag mataas. Kasi malaking bagay na rin yun sa mga, uh, mga drivers. Malacanang declares May 3rd a regular holiday in observance of Eid al-Fitr. The holiday marks the end of the month-long fasting of Ramadan of the Muslim faithful. On Sunday, the Islamic Religious Authority in the Bangsamoro Autonomous Region in Muslim Mindanao declare that Eid al-Fitr will be today, Monday, May 2nd. On to sports now. The defending NBA champions Milwaukee Bucks steal home court advantage against the second-seeded Boston Celtics. Two-time MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo finished with a triple-double as he powered the Bucks to 101-89 victory in Game 1 on Boston's home floor. The Greek freak had 24 points, 13 rebounds and 12 assists, while teammate Jaru Holiday added 25 points and 10 rebounds. Milwaukee also limited Boston's top two scorers, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who combined for just 33 points. Over in Memphis, the Golden State Warriors rallied for a thrilling game one win against the Grizzlies in their own second-round series. Klay Thompson hit the game-winning three-pointer with 36 seconds left. As the Warriors emerged victorious, 117 to 116. Jordan Poole was sensational for the Warriors, dropping 31 points, while Steph Curry added 24 markers. Morant led Memphis with 34 points and 11 assists. In college hoops, the Ateneo Blue Eagles' historical 39-game winning streak comes to an end. The Blue Eagles lost for the first time in four years as they were edged by the University of the Philippines Fighting Maroons 84-83. The loss prevented Ateneo from sweeping the eliminations and earning an automatic finals berth. Instead, there will be a traditional Final Four format with Ateneo and UP holding the twice-to-beat edge advantage, or rather twice-to-beat edge against their lower-seeded opponents. The Maroons will square off with De La Salle Green Archers, while the Blue Eagles will face the FEU Tamarats. An injured Naomi Osaka makes a second-round exit from the Madrid Open. Osaka lost to home favorite Sarah Soribas Tormo, falling 6-3, 6-1. Four-time major champion Osaka revealed she sustained an Achilles injury after her opening win against Anastasia Potapova. For more on this story, head on over to news.abs-cbn.com. A romantic comedy, an action thriller, and an epic historical drama. Manny the Movie Guy has what's new in Hollywood. Oh no, I lost my phone. Here we go. You need to unplug from all your gadgets in order to plug romance back into your love life. That is at the heart of the new romantic comedy, Unplugging. 
Eva Longoria and Matt Walsh star as a couple whose passion for each other has long left the building. In order to revive their marriage, they go on a digital detox weekend. Unplug from our phones for the weekend. Unplugging is formulaic and uses all the rom-com cliches, but Longoria and Walsh keep you plugged right back into the film. It's funny and sweet. Oh, thank you. Thank you, just like us. And for that, unplugging gets two out of four. Unplug your phone kisses. I'm the bad man. Liam Neeson is back with his particular set of skills for another action drama in memory. This time, he's an expert assassin fighting his greatest battle, memory loss. Room number again? It's on the key holder. Based on the Belgian film The Alzheimer Case, Memory is a competent enough action film from director Martin Campbell who gave us Casino Royale. And Neeson is always game even though the story is a bit predictable. Bottom line, the action scenes are well choreographed but you'll forget the film as soon as you leave the theater. And for that, Memory gets two and a half out of four forgettable kisses. And my pick of the week is the new epic historical movie, Firebird. Based on a true story as documented in the book The Story of Roman by Sergei Fetisov, Firebird is set in the Soviet Air Force during the Cold War and tells the story of a forbidden love between a private and a fighter pilot. I'm afraid of this dream. The private is wonderfully played by Tom Pryor, who also co-wrote the film. He is Sergei, who falls in love with a fighter pilot named Roman, played by Oleg Zagorodnil. They risk their freedom and their lives in the face of an escalating KGB investigation. Which is punishable by Timely and thought-provoking, Firebird is less of a political movie and more about love between two human beings. To follow the heart a bit more. So I dare you to love a little bit harder and watch Firebird. But I can't. And for that, Firebird gets three and a half out of four Love is Love Kisses. I'm Manny the Movie Guy for ANC. And that'll do it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Rain Musni. If you want to revisit today's episode, you can play back this newscast on ANC's YouTube channel and on ANC 24-7 on Facebook. Keep safe, everyone, as you keep it here on the News Channel.